Hello, welcome to Creating Portland. I'm your host, Pearson Coons, and on this podcast, I'll be interviewing progressive creators who are using their art to shape the culture of our city and beyond. I hope you enjoy this episode of Creating Portland. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Creating Portland. We have a super exciting guest today. His name is Terry, and he moved to Portland over 15 years ago, where he attended PNCA, and he received an illustration degree. Then from there, he's been working professionally in comic books ever since. Uh, He's published two graphic novels of his own, with another coming out this year, which I'm excited to get into. And then he's also written comic book tie-ins for shows like Rick and Morty, Steven Universe, and Adventure Time. And then recently he also, which I'm so excited to talk about, wrote a comic book for Ariana Grande to promote her new fragrance, which I didn't even know about the fragrance, but Ariana Grande, honey, yes. And then also, of course, uh, probably one of the most exciting pieces of news is that he's working on a Marvel comic for... Uh, a comic for Marvel called Reptile. So let's welcome to the pod, Terry. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yes. Well, let's jump right in because these credits, I mean, <laughs> whew, I'm ready to go. But let's start with just Terry, in your own words, how are you creating Portland? As vague or specific as you want to be in that. I think I'm a small part of a large group that is creating this artistic kind of subculture in Portland. And what I mean by that is I think a lot of people underestimate or maybe don't know because of the circles they run in, how many comic book artists and writers live in Portland. I'm willing to bet that if you look at the types of artists that live here, like sculptors or painters or whatever, the most prevalent kind of artist is comic book artist. Hmm. And that's because, <clears throat> excuse me, for a long time now, uh, Dark Horse Comics and Oni Press have been located in Portland. And then Image Comics moved here to Portland. There's some great conventions in Portland and Seattle. So people move here. To, I certainly moved here to like, at, at the uh, suggestion of one of my good friends, to like, meet people to start working in comics to network and i think that comic book artists have this great sort of way of like kind of lifting up the city making it something that you know is fun and exciting um but i don't think a lot of people people know that about portland maybe some people do in the circles i read in but yeah i think that a lot of uh people in portland may not know that but it's definitely the case. I mean, I definitely had no idea that that was such a predominant medium here. And that's why I'm so excited to talk to you about it. What do you see as like, so that's exciting that this community is here. What about you specifically? What do you bring to the community? And what do you bring to maybe comics, but just Portland in general as an artist? I feel like, you know, in a way, (laughs) what I bring is maybe a little bit more, hopefully, even though I'm very white passing, um, a little bit more diversity. I don't know too many other Latinos or Mexicans in Portland. I'm Mexican-American. And Mm -hmm. I think that from what I've, from what I understand, Portland is one of, if not the whitest major city in the country. 
<clears throat> and so I think that it's, it's something that hopefully I can bring in terms of like some short educational comics that I did that they talk about. They're a little bit more autobiographical. They talk about like living in Portland, um, being Mexican American, what the terms Latino and Hispanic mean. That one went viral for some crazy reason. Um, but yeah, I think that hopefully personally I can bring like a sense of, you know, there are Latinos that live here, there are Mexicans that live here, um, and that we are, we're the, we're, as the Latinx community, we are the largest ethnic minority group in the country with the least amount of representation across the board. And we mm. also, before COVID, put more money into purchasing like movie tickets every weekend, um, buying lots of books and comics. Like we consume a lot of entertainment. And um, it was something like 25% of all movie ticket sales. So like that's a whole quarter of that market. Right. But I'm rambling now. But yeah, I feel like hopefully in terms of like bringing, bringing something artistic to Portland, I hope that people, when they encounter my work, may feel a little sense of like, wait, he's Mexican-American, he's, he's Latino, and he lives in Portland? <laughs> so I, I mm -hmm. hope that maybe even have that reaction. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely exciting representation for our city to, to have cool artists like you here, which is why I'm so excited to talk to you about like how you're representing our city. I guess what I'm curious about is you have these uh, these connections and these gigs, I guess, with these huge national, international, we're talking Marvel, we're talking Ariana Grande, which to me, like Ariana Grande is bigger than Marvel in my community. <laughs> like, what, how does Portland situate itself to have access to those things? Or maybe it's you specifically. Can you kind of talk about that connection to the bigger artistic community in that way living here sure um in terms of something like marvel i feel like that's something that came to me because of the years of work i've put in and um reaching out to my agent the books that i've done previously but i wouldn't have been able to do that work had i not networked with and became a member of helioscope studio which is a collective of comic book artists in downtown portland um mm -hmm. and I feel like because in Portland, that community sort of lifts each other up and we are like there for each other, that that led me to do the work that then got me, you know, some of the gigs that I have now. Um, in terms of something like Ariana Grande, I don't know that has some, much to do with Portland. I likely can't say much about this job, not for any reason other than like signing legal paperwork. Um, but that's more of like network networking with artists i have a friend i had a friend who suggested me to write this comic um and it's i'm sorry to disappoint you i never spoke to her i never like chatted with her but definitely like wrote um this comic for her based off of ideas that she had and wanted to sort of bring to this campaign for her fragrance yeah and can you speak a little more than to like just uh, just networking in an age where it's beyond just Portland. Like we're, we are our own community of artists, which is exciting, but then it's so interconnected to all of these other artists across the country. So how does that work for you? 
pre-COVID, for me, it was a lot about conventions, like comic book conventions. Okay. Those are very draining. You know, they can take a lot of energy out of you, but they were important for like meeting people in terms of um, like other artists and meeting editors. I met my agent at a convention um, in New York. And I think that, yeah, it's a little bit easier to network in the age of the internet. Um, and for me, I try to see network networking as two things. One is, one of them is just making friends. And mm -hmm. the other one is um, building like a relationship of trust with that person. And so I think that, you know, when you're a kid and you're, you're like coming up with ideas or you're drawing or whatever, you, you kind of just want to like hang out and make stuff with your friends. You want to play with your friends. And so for me as an adult, I feel like what would be better than like making comics with your friends, other people mm -hmm. who are artists, who you trust, who you know. And I tried to do that in art school at PNCA as well. It's like try to get to know people so that you have a good support system, a good friend group, but also like who knows what, you know, if you are going to work in comics and you put out a book, you might need a bio photo one day. And then do you know any people who do photography, you know, things like that. I think that networking is definitely a little bit easier in today's day and age, but I see it more as, as like making, making friends and acquaintances because people can tell when you, when your networking is ingenuine because you're just networking because you, you're just like, I just want to get to know this person. Cause I think they can give me jobs. Like, are you asking this person genuine questions? Are you interested in their work? I think there's a definite difference and people can tell the difference. And so, yeah, I completely agree. Do the, you, do you then feel like Portland is your long-term artistic home or what, what keeps you here in Portland? Why Portland? This is a conversation I have with my husband all the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sometimes I, I'm I'm the type of person who, if I can't afford it, it doesn't exist to me. I don't even think about it. So, mm. so, so when he, when we have these conversations, it's kind of like, well, where would you like to live one day? Do you always want to live in Portland? And I'm like, I don't know. I haven't really thought about this. The older I get, I will say, the more connected to and the um, I feel to Mexico. And it's, I love Mexico and I feel like it's, um, it's, it's definitely much cheaper to live there and it's a beautiful city, uh, Mexico city anyway. And I wouldn't mm -hmm. mind having a small place there and contributing to like being an artist there in that city. Um, but I also, I, I've lived all over. I was, I've lived in, well, I was raised in Boise, Idaho, and then moved to several different places in Mexico where my mom is from. But I've lived in New York and I've lived in Los Angeles. Um, I don't know. I could live in several different places, I think. But um, I'm happy in this in, in the Portland area. I I moved here to get away from the sunshine. As, much, as crazy as that sounds, um, it, that's I why was people Los, leave. I was in, yeah. I was in Los Angeles. It was like December, and I walked out of work, and it was like. 75 degrees i was sweating instantly and i knew the minute i got in my car i was going to get like a third degree burn from the steering wheel and i was like i'm done i can't do this anymore and my friend like, just moved to portland and she was living here so i was like all right and by march i was here <laughs> the march following <laughs> december yeah 
Okay, well, that kind of actually brings us into our second section, which is just in terms of the Portland artistic scene, what is working for you about it? What do you see as being successful in Portland arts? And then what is maybe not working so well that we need to work on improving? Um, I would say that this is sort of a strange answer. I would say that one thing that definitely works for me as a Portland artist, I use the term artist as writer and artist. I still do plenty of illustration um, for different magazines or for um, comics or whatever. Um, but I would say that what works for me is that when you live in Portland and you have a job like the one I do, it's and it, and it rains like seven months out of the year here, it's very conducive <laughs> to staying inside and working all day. And mm -hmm. so I mm -hmm. do feel like that has contributed to, you know, me being productive and me like sort of delving into my work, feeling like, well, I'm going to go live in this world for a while and write this book, um, not as an escape to like the rain or whatever. But I do think that, you know, if I were to live in like Palm Springs, which I love, I would probably be, you know, I'm going to go out by the pool or I'm going to go for mm -hmm. a walk or whatever, you know. Um, and so I think that honestly, partly the weather is another great reason. Um, it's something that definitely contributes to my work. I don't know what the city might be like lacking in terms of, I guess in a, in a way, what I think would help is for the institutions that are here, like the schools and whatnot, to embrace the idea that people move here and go to school here to learn how to be comic book artists. Mm. And when I, when I went to PNCA, I got a mm -hmm. lot out of my education there because I, for one thing, I was like 25 when I started there. Everyone else around me was 18. And I only say that because <clears throat> I feel like um, I was at a point where I was like ready to get my degree and be done and start working. And mm. I had, I had lived in a few different places and I was just sort of like ready to like, move into that space. But <clears throat> the illustration department was very, still very new when I went there. And I loved all my instructors. I thought they were all great. I got a lot out of my time there, but I also felt like, um, the best way to put this, the illustration department, I'm under the impression, was the fastest growing department at that school. And, which meant that it had the most students, which to me meant that that was who was contributing the most tuition to that school. Right. And there weren't, I didn't have any courses about comic books. And I would say that half of the people that I knew in the illustration department wanted to work in comics. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that's something that, you know, I've talked to students at the school before I've given like talks or lectures or whatever to different classes. And I definitely think it's different now. I think they have embraced a little bit of that and they have some graphic novel, comic book, sequential storytelling courses and classes. But again, I think maybe any art school, it's not PNCA, I think any art school wants to be known for like, this alumni from this year has a gallery showing in New York with their performance mm. or their sculpture or their paintings. and for better, for worse, comic book artists, the work that we do, it doesn't end up in a gallery most of the time. It ends up in a store. And I think because of that, 
some people in the in artistic communities don't see it as as artistic of an expression or thing. Mm, and so I think, yeah. No, you know, keep going. I mean, this is riveting. Why, why do you think it is that that is sort of less legitimized and how do we get there? Um, that's, there's a few reasons. One of them I think is that up until recently, I don't think comic books have garnered sort of the respect in the United States that, that they, I think, are starting to get in certain places. Um, I also think this with animation as well. I think that the United States is one of a few countries that view comics and animation as entertainment for children. Um, mm. You know, Japan doesn't think that way. All of their soap operas and dramas are like anime. I mean, they have live action ones too. But um, in France, you know, comics are this medium that definitely are geared towards adults as well as children it you know it's just it's just images it's just drawings on a on a page telling a story right. and so i think that's part of it because comics are still seen as like i i did have one experience where um in in post school where i was asked to come do like portfolio reviews and it was being led by someone else and that after the reviews, several of the students who'd had their portfolios re reviewed, we were all going to this gallery showing to look at an artist who was a former alumni that had some paintings in this gallery. And okay. students wanted to, on the way, stop in the comic book shop, which was mm -hmm. on the way there. And the person leading this was like, well, we need to do this. We need to head here because the artwork of an alumna, alumni from this school is in this gallery. Meanwhile, I had two issues of a comic in, in the comic book shop. shop. And I'm mm. like, I'm an alumni. I have artwork in because it's a store and because it's a comic book store, mm. it's not as revered to you as this painting from someone who graduated, you know, here as well. Um, yeah, he did. You know, I said, you know, I have, I'm alumni. I have, I'm very outspoken. I'm the type of person that feels like I don't have time to deal with, you know, something like that. So I just said, you know, well, I think we should listen to the students. The students want to stop in here. There's artwork all over this store, and there are alumni that have work in here. And he was like, right. ooh, and I said, me. <laughs> and so yeah. So well, yeah, there is there's there's this elitism to yeah. if 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 the common consumer can appreciate this art then it must not be like yes. as valid as this higher art that average people don't have access to that's just it and it has very much to do i think with money you know you can buy a mm -hmm. comic book for three dollars right but this you know if if the school has someone successful in a gallery showing mm -hmm. in new york their piece could go for thousands of dollars or whatever and suddenly it's very legitimate you know so yeah. as if all the movies that we watch today aren't based on comic books. Right. Yeah. But I mean, there is like a part of the like inner piece of me that's like, oh, a Marvel movie is somehow less of a film than a film is. And so it's like, there is this weird pretension almost to I mean, even I, having that as source material, maybe. Sure. But I think that, you know, if we... If we just view comic books as, you know, our as like mythology, superheroes as like mythology, think of it like Greek mythology, right? You know, they these heroes with powers and they can turn into things and 
whatever, then those are just stories that I think, you know, resonate with people for different reasons. Uh, the Marvel book that I'm doing right now, <clears throat> you know, it's about a Mexican-American teenage superhero that can turn into dinosaurs. And on the surface, that sounds like, okay, cool. Like kids are going to love this. But at the same time, when I started writing it, I was like, I'm not very familiar with this character. And does that say something in regards to, I am now mm. writing a book about a Mexican-American hero, about like visibility for this community that I belong to. Like this should be a known character and there's no reason why it can't be. Um, I, I do think there's that, was it Scorsese? Like, meh, comic book movies. Yep. But that's yeah. also a very, that's also a very narrow, in my opinion, view. My favorite comic book movie of all time is Ghost World. And that's like the Scarlett Johansson, um, Thora Birch, Steve Buscemi movie. That's based on a comic. American Splendor is based <laughs> on a comic. And so people, you know, before I got this Marvel gig, I would tell people <clears throat> that I, well, I wouldn't tell a lot of people that I work in comics if they ask, because then it leads to questions like, oh, cool, like Spider-Man? <laughs> Like, yeah. oh, my first comic book, my first graphic novel is a queer murder mystery set at a fat camp. <laughs> and they're like, oh, yes. okay. And they don't know how to take that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think that, you know, comics. Yeah, and I think comics, the way we look at movies and TV, are there horror mm -hmm. TV shows? Are there action TV shows? Are there dramas? Are there comedies? Mm. There's all of that for comics. Superhero is just one, you know, genre within comics. Yeah, and I, I'm also fascinated by this point you bring up of like the intended audience being children and that being somehow less legitimate too. Of like just because it's for kids, how does that make it less of a <clears throat> art form, less of a medium, lesser in any way? Just because the audience is somehow. As if we didn't consume things as children that informed the type of artists that right. we want to be as adults. I mean, yes. the intended, I, I would say the intended audience for the Ariana Grande comic was likely not little kids. It was, <laughs> it was Ariana Grande fans. And her right. fans range, I think, in age from like teens to, you know, adults. And so yeah. suddenly you have people who maybe have never read a comic book before who really want this comic book now because of who it's associated with and you know, the character in it is her. I also think that there's there's a great um, way that comics, especially, so I did the um, You Say Latino, which was an autobiographical short comic about the terms Latino and Hispanic. And it talked a little bit about my life and how those terms aren't the same thing, how they don't mean, they're not, they don't mean the same thing. And people read that, it went viral. And suddenly there was a discourse around the time, I think like 2016, about what those terms meant. And I said, yeah, if there's a time to talk about what those terms mean, and if a comic is what brought that to, you know, mm. life, then I think that's great. You hand someone a pamphlet with columns of text and they're like, thanks, I'll read it later. You hand someone a comic book and they're gonna start reading it right away. You know? Yeah, there's no reason to not. Yeah, and so, I think that people underestimate educational comics and mm. how those things can also bring bring a topic that might be difficult to understand or explain into some simple terms 
and into a story that people then consume and understand a little bit better. Yes. Oh, I'm getting psyched about comics right now in a way that I never have. And I'm like, okay, I'm a huge comic I fan. I followed that up with um, a comic called You Say Latinx, because okay. I have been hearing that term quite a bit. Spanish is a gendered mm-hmm. language. And so for people who are who are gender fluid or gender non-binary, like what term do they use? To use the O as Latino, that says you're male, and to use the A that says you're female, and what if you identify as both or neither or what? So a lot of people use the X, but because a lot of, like an older generation who speaks Spanish, they can't wrap their head around it. You know, they don't understand why would you use this? Why do we need this? Like if you refer to a group of Latinos, men and women, you in Spanish, you always use the O. So they're like, but there already is one for uh, it's an O and you know, but you're still using the male form. So I did this comic that just talked about um, what some of those things mean, those terms mean and why that term is important. It has this like, me in front of a blackboard with like Latin, like explaining that term. And, you know, I think people actually got a lot out of it, because I was able to say, you know, a lot of people push up against this because they say you can't change every gendered vowel in Spanish. You can't speak it anymore. It makes Spanish like unconjugatable, you know, to say like mm-hmm. the kids went to school to see their friends, like los niños fueron a la escuela para ver a sus amigos. You'd have to be like lixis niñixes, you know, so that's how they push back. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't speak it. Yeah. I heard somebody on TV use an E instead of the, the O or the A. Mm. And suddenly, if you welcome someone, bienvenidos todos, all you have to do is say bienvenidos todos and use the E. And you've been inclusive. And in a comic, through this comic, I hope, I was able to tell people, like, look, language changes all the time. It just does. (laughs) Like, you think it doesn't, but it does. And it's something that I think that if, you know, I, I, I feel like it was a comic that hopefully said, that I feel that what the, the most basic thing we can do as human beings is refer to other people the way they want to be referred to. And right. if this comic can do that in like six pages and help someone understand that, then I think that's something actually really powerful that comics can do. Totally. I mean, it's it's a, a, just another conversation about accessibility. And like, I think a lot of the discourse right now in the the semantic realm and in like, liberal dialogue is around all of these complicated things that we're Mm -hmm. trying to figure out and sort through. And so to have this medium that like breaks it down, de-intellect, I mean, it's still the same concept, but it's more accessible to two children, two people that aren't engaged in this conversation every day. They can read this and get out what they need to in a practical way rather than getting a paper or a book, or even like sometimes articles are just too much to just explain all this stuff we're trying to figure out together and there's plenty of text in a comic i think you just trick people <laughs> into not thinking right. there is and they've suddenly at the end of the six seven page thing been like oh i did read this thing and now i grasp this concept yes yeah. and it's people talking it's more personable it's less like black and white there's also very, it's why we love movies and tv there's a definite power mm-hmm. in combining words with pictures because you now provide a context for what's happening in in this space. And I think yeah. that um, people don't always understand that that's what comics do. 
you know, great comics, in my opinion, um, combine words and pictures in an interesting way. If you already have a picture of someone doing like at the grocery store, why would your caption or your dialogue say, I'm at the grocery store? Mm. <laughs> you know, it's your story more interesting if you say like, I think that our relationship is not working or some you know something and i'd be like why is she at the grocery store thinking about this i'd be like so into this i'd be like well now i need to read more who is she talking to mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. i mean it's even making me think like that is the definition of meme culture too is this combination of words mm -hmm. and photos together to create some kind of interesting relatable absolutely story yeah oh, wow this has been absolutely riveting okay our last final question i just want to talk to you forever about this but um what i guess is your hope then for portland art or comic art what is what's the dream for you the big vision in terms of where we're all headed i we sp spoke about it a little bit but i would hope that my i would hope that for portland and for the world <laughs> that mm -hmm people would start to see or recognize that comics are a medium and they're not all superheroes. You know, mm. a very, a, a very powerful sort of genre of graphic novels right now is the auto bio thing. Right. You know, my, my agent has been pushing me to do one and I was like, oh, I don't know, like why? And she's like, you're a biracial, bicultural, ex-Mormon, Mexican-American gay person who grew up in Boise, Idaho, and Mexico in the 90s. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was like, gotta be something. okay, <laughs> I'll try to write something then. And so, you know, I think that if we can expand our idea of what comic books are, clearly, mm -hmm. I'm a Marvel, I'm literally wearing like a Marvel Latinx, like X-Men shirt right now. <laughs> yeah. I'm a Marvel fan. I love Marvel. I love working for them. I grew up with like the X-Men, reading all those comics, watching the cartoons. I will always love superhero stuff, but mm. I want people to recognize that comics are a great, vast, wide medium and not a superhero genre. Mm. You could draw any picture of anything and combine it with words, draw one more picture, combine it with words, and that's a comic book. It could be about whatever you want. Mm. I mean, I feel like I'm getting schooled today as well. I definitely <laughs> came in with this Marvel mindset going on, and I just have grown in so much appreciation. So you could, if, if you expand your horizon a little bit, you could be reading an Ariana Grande comic book. <laughs> I could. I mean, if I had known there was an Ariana Grande comic book, I would absolutely be devouring it. Listen, that um, fragrance smells amazing. I actually wear it every day. <laughs> okay. So it is... <laughs> This is good product promotion. You've actually tried it. You actually can root for mm -hmm. it. Okay, I'll have to check out the fragrance as well, I guess. But I'll start with the comic. And um, yeah, thank you so much for being here, Terry. Um, of how can people find you on the internet or follow you? Or where where do we get the deets? Hello? Sorry, I was giving it a second because it was like, Reason up. Um, oh. <laughs> you can find me on you can find me on my website. It's terryblass at gmail.com. And my Twitter and my Instagram, where I post <laughs> my thoughts and my artwork, are just at Terry Blass. It's just my name. They said in art school be easy to find. <laughs> so yes. yep. 
Okay, perfect. Well, make sure to check those out. And uh, thank you so much for being here. We appreciate thank it. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Creating Portland with me, Pearson Coons. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at CreatingPDX or on our website, CreatingPDX.com. This podcast was brought to you by Wolf and Thunder Productions and Golden Pride Productions. See you next time. Bye!